This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. And I'm Wayne. We're going to talk about Faith of Our Fathers, a novelette, I believe, from uh, Dangerous Visions, uh, the Harlan Ellen Ellison anthology from 1967. Um, this is not a story I've read by him before, uh, Dick, that is. And uh, I really like this story. Thanks, yeah, Paul. It, it, yeah, this is this is like the second Dick thing I ever read. So yeah, this is this wow. early crystallized my interest in his work. I saw this. Uh, I was going through the. I was looking for an illustration or something, um, and I was going through the complete publication history for this. And it's been in all sorts of anthologies, lots of reprints of Dangerous Visions, of course. Um, but it was also in a fantasy anthology, which I thought was interesting. Um, it's called a science fiction story on the Wikipedia entry. Um, there isn't a lot of science in it. Uh, there's not a lot of fantasy in it. There sure is a lot of Philip K. Dick in it. <laughs> so, what, what what stands out to you in your mind, Paul, about this being a great story? I I think this story sits. Oh, okay, how how can I? I'm trying to figure out which perspective I should go from this. So when I first read this story way back in the day, when because I picked up Dangerous Visions because someone told me I should read Dangerous Visions. Like, okay, I'll read Dangerous Visions, reading reading through a bunch of interesting stories like Rolling Bones and whatnot. And I come to this is like, what the heck is this? And I'm reading like, oh, I get this. This is kind of like a weird Gnostic sort of thing. I, mean, I read The Man in the High Castle. This is this guy. Okay, I will read more by Philip K. Dick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now looking backwards, given when this was published, this clearly sits as Dick is transitioning to, to much more religious and Gnostic themes in his, like in the, we will, we will see in his later works that we don't see in the earlier works. We get some of the weird mind reality bending stuff, but then now coming in the, now coming in, in this story, you can start seeing his more interests in religions and the, how the nature of God and reality that starts to creep into his work at this point. And this story is kind of like a herald of those interests that are going to dominate the last parts of his uh of his writing life yeah a, a scary herald right scary herald oh yes yeah th- this is not a this is not a story to uh comfort yourself on on a saturday <laughs> night no <laughs> well i i actually forgot to mention that it actually has been in a horror anthology as well um which <laughs> that is, makes perfect sense yeah. yeah and uh as you you know talking about comforting that's how this story ends right <laughs> It ends in mid-comforting. Yeah, the one last comfort that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like what she uh, the uh, girl character had to say about uh, about you know, I guess she hasn't got the full facts yet, but she's she's got her solution and he seems to go with it. But I wanted to I wanted to ask your first impressions, Marissa. You hadn't read this before either. Yeah, no, I'd never read it, and um, yeah, I thought it was kind of amazing. Like, it's a word. it kind of felt like both different from the other stuff that I've read of his, but also, like you say, like, so Philip K. Dick, but mm-hmm. I like the kind of, um, yeah, the whole horror, almost like Lovecraftian kind of cosmic is, horror thing. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the mix of science and religion and 
Yeah. Don't forget politics. <laughs> We're gonna get to and it. the politics. Oh, yeah. We've got a bit of everything. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it's also I, I like how um, consistent it is for a long story. Um, it it feels like you know some of the best parts of his novels, and certainly uh, it it doesn't feel like a short story of his. Yeah, that's true. Uh, all right, uh, Mr. Lovecraft himself. What did you think of this, Wayne? You you're not uh, deep into Philip K. Dick territory, are you? I'm not. Every every time I run across him, I'm I'm, I'm amazed. It's he's uh, he's <laughs> he's depending on where in his uh, uh, career you you run across him, uh, he's got some amazing things to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I I actually have read this before. I realized oh. um, I had dangerous visions when it came out in. Uh, well, I think ni- 1968, I got it. And uh, so I have read it before. It, it, it's not as if it was in my memory, but uh, just, um, you know, as, as it was a little familiar going through it. Hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's interesting uh, to, to, to read something like this now, as opposed to when I was 14 and, hmm. and, and doing LSD. So... <laughs> Well, um, famously, the introduction in Dangerous Visions has Harlan Ellison saying that I wanted Philip K. Dick on drugs, and I got Philip K. Dick on drugs. All <laughs> <laughs> under LSD, and yeah. Dick has walked walked that back quite a bit, um, saying that yeah, he he has tried LSD. He did not write this story on LSD that um, really had very little to do with drugs, um, but. But certainly, you know, there are lots of drugs mentioned in the story, and a lot of them are ones he's had experience with. I, I would yeah. say. Uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that anyone could actually uh, compose a sentence. That's uh, what he says. Yeah. On yeah. LSD. So. He said he. I think in the Philip K. Dick fans website, he said that he did uh, compose a page in L- uh, on LSD, but it was all in Latin except for some Aramaic. <laughs> neither of which he spoke yeah yeah something like that uh, you got to trust uh his 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 commentary with a little grain of salt or a little tab of acid because there, it's it's not all true but certainly i think uh this is not a story that you could think of as unpolished at all i think it's very well done and in re-listening to it i noticed like a lot of little touches that i think um show what a good writer he is and and all the anybody who thinks he's not a great writer really doesn't understand how great he is because he's got some amazing little things going on there but like what uh, well uh the cigar did you notice the cigar cigar is not always a cigar but in in a philip k dick story where he doesn't write a lot about cigars um when the cigar keeps going out um, at you know opportune times, <laughs> it's, it means something. Well, I that that I that honestly did not occur to me. <laughs> well, it, it has to, but um, I don't think it's necessarily the sexual prowess that you know one of those drugs is offered. I mean, that's certainly there, but I think there's there's something really cool going on in this story. But I wanted to I wanted to give you my first impression on how shocking it was to me to realize what was going on, at least in my view of the story. Mm-hmm. Which was that this is a retelling of 1984 with a different ending. Yeah, I, I definitely got that. It was like a, uh, it, it's like 1984, uh, meets, uh, the, uh, the doors of perception. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Way you find it out Big Brother is God. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. And and he's he's exactly the kind of big brother you uh, see in 1984. He's he not not all friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, all the scenes with um, him, you know, just walking down the street and being confronted by the realities of the dystopia he's living in, the fact that he has to watch TV all day—that's uh, his job. Like we find out that six days a week he goes home and watches TV, not because he wants to, but because it's part of the job. Yeah. Um, and that. We get a Philip, so that uh, man in the high castle, sort of Philip K. Dick reverse uh, cultural imperialism, where you know his one hobby, the one grace in his life, is steer roping. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> Goes to the club on Friday nights and steer ropes. <laughs> the ancient art of American steer roping. <laughs> There's got to be some symbolism in there too. Yeah. Um, and of course the girl in, in um, 1984, her, I think her name is Julia. Yes. Um, I can't remember what her name is in here, but she's, um, she, she's that, she's, uh, on the, uh, she's in a secret society, right? Tanya. Tanya. Okay. Tanya's on the, in a secret society. Uh, there's another secret society, at least out, outside of the story. And the narrator's being roped into a conspiracy against the party to find out what's really going on kind of and or rebel against it and and he uh, works for for the party already just like in 1984 exactly he's he's in the exact sort of same position he's a he's a middle level functionary um he eats and breathes the you know the agit prop or whatever it's called and uh and also you know believes that but it has a great cynicism about it right mm-hmm. i i i think it's an astounding interesting sort of redoing of, of 1984, but there's a lot else going on in it as well. Yeah, I, I, I was was struck by the part that uh, the, the part that really makes me think and I don't know, I haven't come to any conclusions about it yet, um, is the, 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 the whole section and, and the whole theme where um, he had <laughs> he they they're putting LSD in the water mm-hmm. as a, as mm-hmm. as a regular thing. I mean, everybody is just tripping all the time. They're not seeing reality. They're seeing uh, a hallucination, particularly when it comes to their perception of the uh, the absolute uh, benefactor guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it turns out that uh, due to his dose of um, uh, antipsychotic snuff that he takes. Uh, he, you know, sees, uh, sees behind the illusion and sees the reality, which ends up being one of 12 possible realities mm-hmm. that, yeah, that people, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it starts to get into deep water there. You he know? does, yeah. And, uh, I think that's actually the much more modern politics. <laughs> so where, where the much more modern politics really takes off, like, you know, no matter what we great things we say about 1984, what a great book it is. It's it really is not our world. It is. I mean, there are aspects of it that are interesting, but it's not the TV that watches you back in our world, right? It's it's the internet. Yeah, <laughs> it's Google. It's right. um, your cell phone, right? Um, and yeah, we treat our phones like televisions now, perhaps, but and we do get customized ads and customized emails and. All the things that sort of, you know, are reflected in this, but mm-hmm. the, the, to me, the, the, the water being contaminated is more like, uh, you know, 
propaganda. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody's drinking it. Yep. And you, you, you know that you're drinking it. Um, but you don't taste it anymore. And when you go off it, <laughs> you put a filter on the water, you, you, uh, start drinking, you know, water from your own well, um, or some other well. It really is striking going back to the flavor of mm-hmm. the contaminated water. Going back to the desert of the real, as it were. Hmm. I, you know, that's a good way of putting it. I, I stole that from the Matrix, if you couldn't tell. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Was that the first Matrix or the... First Matrix. Could, the, 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 the first the, real Matrix. The o- first and only real Matrix, yeah. Yeah. I like well, the idea in this as well that the, the reality that he sees when he comes off that hallucinogen is so terrifying mm. that there's like nothing you can do apart from drink the Kool-Aid again and just try and relax. <laughs> have, have a lot of sex. So that you Yeah. Yeah, just sex and drugs until you die. <laughs> yeah, <There's laughs> that's the moral of the story. <laughs> maybe a little rock and roll as well. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, the uh, the most scary, the scariest line in this entire story for me is when the when the creature tells him there are things worse in this universe that there are things worse than I. Right. It's like as bad as this creature is with these multiple seeming realities. He's control. He made the party there at the party. He controls everything. He's not the worst possible thing. Yeah. That, that's like, what could be worse? Yeah, right? It's true. It's a uh, very three stigmata of Paul Moore Aldrich. Uh-huh. Um, there's a, there's a lot going on. Like, what, what is the supreme benefactor? And when we first get to that party and we see the naked girls top, topless and bottomless walking around, and he tries to interact with one of them with the glowing boobs. He <laughs> asks her, "Is that a topical cream?" <laughs> oh, no, doesn't he say, um, is, "Yeah, the radioactive injections." <laughs> yeah, is that radioactive? Oh, maybe she's a mutant. Oh, I, ma- I made a faux pas. Um, they have they they're like low on affect, right? They're they're like drugged up or whatever. And mm-hmm. seeing the the supreme benefactor walking around the the party and seeing what he's doing to the people it's it's as horrific as anything in hp lovecraft except it's it's better described <laughs> we sort of physically get the squishing instead yeah. of the you know the, the the reaction of what it did to yeah. its character and um i think that that's really powerful it's a lot of a lot of power Powerful imagery and in- interesting things going on in it, but I wanted to. And he, he's uh, he, he's he's kind of um, typical of of him, I guess. The more I read him and I pay attention to him, uh, I come to the conclusion that, uh, well, number one, he was you know really a genius, but he was all over the map, and he was all over the map in this story too. It's uh, there's elements in 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 it of. Uh, uh, of Neoplatonism mm-hmm. with, with, uh, all is one, you know, when, when, at one point near the end of the story, when he was actually confronting, uh, quote unquote God, he, uh, God told him that, uh, I, I am everything, uh, I am you, you are me, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, uh, I created everything. I created the party. I created the anti-party. I, uh, uh, there's also, um, uh, I think that the element of 
relativism working its way through there with the when he finally uh, or when anyone finally gets uh, a grasp behind the hallucination and behind the illusion and into reality, it could be any one of 12 realities, right? right. You know, rel- relativism, it's, it's this is reality to me, whereas the polar opposite may be reality to you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no objective reality. It's all mm-hmm. subjective. And, um, it's scary. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and the, the way he, he he's, he kind of, you almost don't notice it. It's effortless. The yeah, way he, it is. He shifts gears like that. It's crazy. <laughs> Politics to horror to existential reality. I want to. I want to read that. Uh, read a bit from this from when he was when the when God is going through the party because because mm-hmm. for those listeners who haven't read the story, they should. They should. This yeah. is this is as bad as I mean, anything in Lovecraft. Here we go. It was terrible. It blasted him with its awareness. As it moved, it drained the life from each person in turn. It ate the people who had assembled, passed on, ate again, ate more with an endless appetite. It hated. He felt its hate. It loathed. He felt its loathing for everyone present. In fact, he shared its loathing. All at once, he and everyone else in the big villa were each a twisted slug. And over the fallen slug carcasses, the creature savored, lingered, but all the time coming directly towards him. Was that an illusion? If this is a hallucination, Chan thought, is the worst I have ever had. If it is not, then it is evil reality. It is an evil thing that kills and injures. He saw the child stepped on, mashed men and women remnants behind it. He saw them trying to reassemble to operate the crippled bodies. He heard them attempting speech. It's it's so interesting because what's actually happening, like if, if we were, you know, dropped into this universe and not on the drugs, not on either drug, what what would we be seeing? I don't know. I... Because uh, in one way, I kind of think like it's it's metaphor, right? You, when you meet the party leader and he shakes your hand, he sucks the life out of you. You become his servant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they can't sort of, they're discombobulated and can't put themselves back together. They're not dead, right? Yeah, it's like they return to chaos kind of. Mm-hmm. It's like meeting meeting a celebrity. <laughs> meeting a celebrity and falling under their sway and yeah. it all being fake in a very uh real way it's it's so pol- it's so interestingly political and i, w- I want to tell you what sort of act this is always happening to me i i i see uh i see reality in the stories by consuming other things during the week while i'm studying for the podcast you know mm-hmm. uh so I've been I've been reading a hell of a hell of a lot of uh, uh, Hillary emails, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no, from uh, WikiLeaks and uh, seeing the interpretation of what's going on there, and um, it's not getting a lot of public play. Um, you know, we know that it happened, but it's not on the regular news. Really, they just say it happened, right? Mm-hmm. They don't they don't tell you any of the interesting things that you're seeing in there. But it, it really is seeing behind the curtain because. Um, although you don't see a lot of her writing specifically, there is a, there's a, a number of it in there. But all the people who are working for her and who are, have plans and strategies and um, and things going on and people complaining about what's you know that they would never do in public, right? No 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 public complaints. But all of that stuff is changes you at least temporarily while you're on the the drug of reality of actually seeing what's actually going on and not 
uh, just seeing it through, you know, the public face of it, uh, you know, in the press conferences and stuff, mm-hmm. and the tweets or whatever. If you're, if you're reading this long enough, what happens is you start seeing everything for what it is. <laughs> um, and even in escaping, you know, think, well, I, I won't watch regular news. I'll just escape to, you know, fantasy land. Um, uh, so I turned on this movie uh, that's on Netflix now called uh, London Has Fallen. It's one of these, you know, action movies with. Oh, get, oh, the sequel, the sequel to yeah, uh, White House Down or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it's not really like, you know, brilliant entertainment. I just don't want to watch uh, a, like there's a sh- really good scary show on right now called Zero. No, it's Channel Zero. But it's it's way too scary to watch. <laughs> When you go to sleep, so I'm looking for something very light, right? I I think I'll watch this, and I start watching it. I started laughing. I started laughing, like at how hilariously, cartoonishly propagandistic it was. Oh yeah. And I couldn't believe, like, I I think I'm ruined. I don't think I watch <laughs> you know just generic generic Hollywood movies anymore because of this. But I I think that'll go away because I'll be off of the, you know, I'll be back on the water. Public water <clears throat> shortly enough, and I, I won't see it. But one of the things that happened in the movie is uh, it starts with a drone strike. There, you know, the government, the president has ordered a drone strike on some terror, and it's not a terrorist; he's an arms dealer, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, he looks up into the sky, and then boom, drone comes down, kills everybody at the wedding party. Um, two years later, you know, president's landing in London for some funeral or whatever. And that, that's the regular start of the story. When, when you finally get to the end of the novel, or not novel, the, the movie, movie, uh, the president is, you know, in a fight with the bad guy and the, the ma- main heroes, you know, punching the guy saying, you, what you don't understand about America, as he punches the bad, bad guy in the face over and over again, <laughs> is that we're not one building, smash in the face. We're not one party, or what, smash in the oh, face. God. We're not one man, smash in the face. We'll be here a thousand years from now. He smashes the face. Like, holy shit. And then, um, there's this whole off screen, or a whole group of people who, and this, I've seen this, I guess, since Independence Day, you know, that movie, where there's a whole bunch of people sort of sitting in a conference room watching the movie along with us. You know, mm-hmm. the vice president watches the air, president in the airplane shooting down the thing, and he's, he sort of cheers when the president doesn't get killed, and, and, and they all hug each other at the end when the movie's over, right? So it's the sort of the proxy for the audience is built into the movie. Yeah, so it's how you should feel. That's exactly right. And one of the things that uh, one of the I said that the president or the vice president says in justifying the whole of how this all happened and all the terror that happened in London is is he says uh, we you know the drone strike we authorized it through the G8. And then they just move on. And I started laughing uncontrollably. <laughs> this is the, <laughs> this is so funny because I realized what was happening is, you know, the, the person who's writing this movie, right? They don't really have an agenda. They just have to sort of, you know, the writing is, is solving problems, right? And you've got this problem at the, at some point during the movie, you're going to have to sort of say, well, if you know, the president had a, hadn't have drawn this guy. Right. <laughs> it's never would have happened. Never, never would have happened, right? 
Um, because, you know, he killed his, his daughter-in-law and his son and maimed all his nephews and nieces who are helping in the plot. And it was not apparently a very effective drone strike because all his family basically survived. <laughs> Except for, you know, one person or whatever. But the important part is, like, this is not a real character, right? This is not, this is not a historical story. So they have to have a bad guy and they have to have some justification. And they also have some, have some justification for what is really a horrific thing, which is, you know, droning people from the sky without, you know, any sort of due process of law or oversight or, you know, anything. And so instead of saying, you know, we did it because uh, we have the authority to do it and a lawyer gave me this evidence, which is, you know, it gave me a memo saying that it's okay, which is actually how it's done, right? Mm-hmm. And they can't do, and I realized that the writer couldn't say, couldn't say, uh, we authorized it through the UN because the UN would never let that happen, right? right. And more importantly, the Americans don't like the UN, right? So there is this line that says, we authorized it through the G8. And the whole of the movie depends on this tiny little linchpin, <laughs> which is, Wait a second. The G8 has nothing to do with like millet. Like it's not NATO. Yeah, it's a, it's an economic union. <laughs> it's an economic union which uses uh which has many it's not even an economic union exactly. It, yeah, it's it's, a- it's just the top 8 countries, right? And there's also the G9 and the G20, right? These are actually rivals. China's in the G8. China wouldn't have to say that. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I think maybe his his point was um, maybe that was just a, a little snarky, uh, thing of, about, well, you know, he's saying what the reality behind everything is, is it's all about economics. You know, it's all about who's making the dough. You know, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the top one, the top one percent, that's who's running the world. That, uh, that, yeah. that kind of thing. No, I, uh, I mean, the, the movie's so cartoonish. It's, it's it's actually a pretty good movie. It's you know it's got a lot of action. It's passes the time. Um, the it's kind of a cartoon. The hero's indestructible, right? There's all sorts of humorous things going on, but uh, you don't like when you actually find out. So one of the things, if if you're reading the emails, one of the things you find out is that uh, Hillary knew that ISIS was being funded by the S- Saudis in 2002. Uh, not uh, uh, whenever ISIS was. ISIL was when, whenever ISIS was ISIL, right? And she was also getting uh, the Clinton Foundation was also getting money from the Saudis. So the people <laughs> who are fighting ISIS are also the people who are uh, ISIS, right? Or the people people who are funding Clinton are also funding ISIS. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that makes complete sense if you're a Saudi, right? Because you want mm-hmm. to destabilize your enemies and uh, reinforce your allies. Well, that makes perfect sense. Um, and that will be in conflict. But Hillary's public face is not, yeah, we're in bed with the guys who, who, who are fighting against. And, you know, the fact that, like, everything's upside down, right? Like, Hillary is, everybody thinks, I think, everybody thinks Hillary is the more sane response to, to, than Trump, you know, like Trump's going to get us into a war, right? Is the no, well, well, well. May, I'm glad you said some people think yeah. that <laughs> because uh, uh, I, the, the the thing that occurred to me when you were were just, just talking about the emails of one thing that did that did come out, um, <clears throat> I think it was from a, a, a behind closed doors speech she, she made to some Wall Street 
people or something. She was like the, the whole thing about, well, I think it's quite OK to have a public face and yeah. a private face, you know. So uh, it, she's very uh, seems seemed uh, from that statement to be very pragmatic in that. You know, I, I'll define truth depending on who I'm speaking to, because, yeah. you know, uh, I'm not I'm not trying to speak truth. I'm trying to tell you <clears throat> what you want to hear so that I can gain whatever advantage, right. whether it's the public um, or whether it's uh, uh, people who are in a position to give her a, a shitload of dough or whatever it may be. Uh, you know, she's uh, uh, she dissembles. To to use a word from the uh, from the book. That's right. That that's right in there. It's it, it it's striking. Like just seeing the public the public face of the benevolent leader, yeah. and you know, and the rallying behind. Like there are a lot of people who are trying to get Hillary in, and they are trying to get her in not because they think she's great, but rather they think Trump is so terrible. Right, but, and there, and there's there's other people who also. Uh, are on exactly the other side of that too, where, uh, it, it's like, uh, in, they, they're not maybe totally thrilled with Trump either. No. But they're, they're like, no, never Hillary. You know, so there's, there's, right. there's that aspect of it on, on each side. And it's, uh, uh I, I, I guess I flatter myself in saying I've, I've kind of paid attention to elections over the years. And this is the first time I've seen anything. Like this oh, it's pretty happened. I'm, sh- I'm sure it's been going on forever since you know the uh, days of the Roman Senate, but uh, this is the first <laughs> time it's just been so admittedly out there. You know, yeah, just so the, the just bail, so bells are lifted, and we can yeah. see it all. It's it, it, if if you choose to drink that water and take the anti drug, most people you know that are not. Most people like I think you know so, the, the celebrities who are going around with her. I, I think they're just so afraid of Trump. And that that fear has infected them to, you know, be on the side of the the good guy who's not that great, right? The good girl who's not that great. And they, she's, she, we think she's she's the saner choice. Much, you know, she's not great. We understand that, but she's. We can't let Trump win. But one of the arguments that people make very strongly is that she's gonna she's gonna not launch nuclear weapons randomly when somebody tweets at him. Right, you know, like, well, sure, but that's that that may be maybe a um, but but a, the, a false assumption too. It's, she's, it's, talk, she's talking about she's having so no, hawkish, no, no fly zones. In, exactly, in, in she's Syria. talking about having military responses when when uh, they're cyber attacked from somebody in Russia or China, right? And she's going to make for nuclear weapons her first priority, whereas Trump wants to be friends with Russia. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a businessman. He, he, he's, he, he wants. To, he's not going to be a great president. We know this, but he wants. He, he wants to. I don't. Want, I don't agree. I, I, he's going to walk into any situation with uh, uh, what he considers to be a charming demeanor and shake hands and sit down and talk business. Here's what I want. What do you want? Absolutely. Here's what I'll give you. What will you give me? That's that's what his his whole. Uh, uh, demeanor is about yep. and he's not a politician and and that's one thing that's attractive to some people um he's about him he has revealed the the fake fakeness all around him all the way that's why he won right everyone was so fake except for him and he's completely fake 
But he Absolutely. he's he's not as fake as they are. <laughs> they're, they're so fake. He's 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 a different fake. He's yeah, a, he's a businessman he, he, fake. But that's his fake. that's his reality. Is he so? He, yeah, it's like it's like from the story. He's uh, what what were what were the different uh, hallucinations that people saw when they were oh, watching? Oh yeah, the clanker. Yeah. The product monster. Yeah. There's a ladder. The clanker, the gopher, <laughs> yeah. the bird, the climbing the, tube. The climbing, climbing tube. tube. Climbing tube. That's like, my favorite. Yeah, maybe so, that, is that what Trump uh, is? So, so he's he's. He, he's <laughs> I don't even of, know what a climbing tube is. I'm like a peristaltic action. What, what? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> is the bird like the one that you know you have it on your desk and it sort of dips into the? <laughs> it goes keeps <laughs> dipping down. <laughs> it's got a thermometer but, but, in but, it. Or what? But I think that's the that's the the, the whole. Um, point of this story the more i think about it i, I just read it uh, you know for the first time in uh, however many years uh, 40 years 50 years um last night and uh, i haven't really thought it through but, but but that really is the point not only on uh uh politics and truth telling but also on uh you know the nature of reality as we've been saying he, he really reminds me of uh i bring this guy up uh Almost every time I open my mouth, you familiar with Thomas Ligotti? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got He's uh, modern mentioned. Lovecraft. Yeah, yeah, that's that's his uh, uh, sort of his reputation. Yeah, um, he wrote a, a serious philosophical treatise called "The Conspiracy Against the Human Race," mm. and I would not recommend reading it <laughs> uh, unless you want to uh, possibly. Uh, just dive into the greatest depression of your existence. Oh, that sounds because, great. <laughs> uh, it is great. It is absolutely <laughs> wonderful. He, um, he, he says, uh, in uh, his premise is that, uh, consciousness, our, our, our being is, uh, an accident of evolution. Uh, no other species or life form on this planet is aware of its own mortality mm-hmm. and has the ability to see its end, but not know what is behind that door. And uh, what is behind that door, according to him, is just non-existence. So uh, it's kind of the, the uh, atheistic existential uh, trope, if you will, about uh, you know, life has no point. Life is absurd. And what he says in this book, it's almost, it could have been, th- this book could have been a part of the, the Philip K. Dick story. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that people, everybody, in order to survive, in order to, su- to survive emotionally yourself, and in order to survive in society and in, in dealing with other people, is everybody drinks the Kool-Aid that, oh, yeah, everything's fine. <laughs> we're not all going to die. Well, you know, we're going to die someday, but uh, what's that? On? Oh, cartoons. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't think about it. Drink the Kool-Aid. Look at the illusion. There's one point in the Philip K. Dick story where the uh, main guy there says, uh, I want it to go back the way it was. Mm-hmm. I, I want, I want, I want to have my illusions. I want to go to work and not know what I now know. You know, that, uh, that, that God is, is, 
is the supreme leader is horrible and is just there to feed off you and is uh, one great Lovecraftian scene and it was where um, do you remember what it was Paul uh, some, something about it was like a gelatinous thing with a million eyes or something like that yeah anyway it, it, was, it was it was creepy as hell and but, but there it is. I got it. Uh, and then it ceased talking to him. It disjoined itself, but he saw it. He felt it in mani- its manifold oh. presence. It was a globe which hung in the room with 50,000 eyes, a million eyes, billions, an eye for each living thing as it waited for each thing to fall, and then stepped on the living thing as it lay in a broken state. Because of this, it had created the things, and he knew, he understood. What had seemed in an Arabic poem to be the death was not death, but God, or rather God was death. It was one force, one hunter, one cannibal thing, and it missed again and again. But having all eternity, it could afford to miss. Both poems, he realized, the Dryden one too, the crumbling. That is our world, and you and you are doing it, warping it to come out that way, bending us. Wow. Yeah, then, then, yeah. Yeah, then, then he yeah. considers going over the edge and killing himself but he doesn't it's like, which is a great reaction i love that by the way like, it's, yeah. it's, it's like, not even lovecraft where everyone's like fainting and stuff that's the guy right. just like turns around and calmly walks out and throws himself off the balcony it's it's so the good. window the window right the end of the lovecraft story where <laughs> yeah the yeah. thing is coming out the window well he's actually jumping out the window yeah right? it's coming but, out and there. god catches him the god catches exactly. him and, and says don't you what's the matter don't you have the time you know, I've got you. I'm going to kill you, but don't fall on my account. It said, "Yeah, yeah." Did not right, see know. it because it moved behind him. But the piece of it on his shoulder—it had begun to look like a human hand, and then it laughed. What's funny? He demanded as he teetered on the—I like that teetered because he's laughing, right? <laughs> he teetered on the railing, held back by the pseudo hand. You're doing my task for me. It said, "You aren't waiting. Don't have." Don't you have time to wait? I'll select you out from among, among the others. You don't need to speed up the process. All right. <laughs> right? Oh, so Love that. creepy. Isn't that? And, and, uh, and that's that's shaking hands with Hillary Clinton. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh my god. Oh god. You sort of back away and you say. I, I think. Well, I think one reason he included a, a, a huge political aspect to this book is uh, perhaps the point was that um, politics itself can be one of the things that distract us from from reality sure. uh, or, or, you know, or, or, or lay down a different reality than the one that really is there that we so you see you see everything through that political reality and this whole campaign mm-hmm. we've seen we've seen politics as a lens from on both sides and all these candidates the way they see the world and it kind of it's kind of like a filter and I mean I've been reading lots of this stuff about People talking about why they're supporting Trump or Hillary or whatnot. And you, you see that they're really seeing the world through a different filter than you are. It's the same world, but their reality is very, very different. And it's kind right. of. Right. And, th- and that's where relativism comes in in this book, too. It's that's your reality. It's real for you, but it's not real for me. My reality is real for me. But the total opposite can be real for you. And that's, you know, that's an acceptable position philosophically. Uh, since the 60s, when you start fooling around with things like LSD, it makes you question the nature of reality. Uh, uh, just 
boy, if I had known that was in existence and possible somewhere in the world, that that's why uh, I think people, uh, notably Aldous Huxley and uh, Timothy Leary, tried to almost redefine what the drug was doing to you. Instead of interfering with your perception, it was actually opening your perception. It was... Uh, it was psychedelic was the mm-hmm. uh, word they coined, which means mind expanding. Mm-hmm. So it, it wasn't fooling your mind. It wasn't putting illusion in front of you. It was actually opening your mind to what's really there, you know, yeah. which is, you know, kind of silly. It's 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 ass backwards. But well, nonetheless, that's what they were saying. Well, actually, it's not. I mean, one of the things this is so, uh, you know, I, I studied a lot of philosophy in the university. I, I thought it was great. I also thought a lot of it was super bullshit a lot of the academic stuff is is just completely bullshit but i loved it it's really interesting one of the things that you you know you're in the interaction between philosophy and science is that you know there's these sort of experiments when you you there's natural experiments and non-naturals and there's there's a couple that are interesting you know giving a blind person sight and asking them to recognize what they recognized previously with their hands recognizing it with their eyes Right. And that, you know, we, we could come to some sort of ideas about what, what they would, whether they would be able to perceive that or not, uh, given eyesight, right? Suddenly. Um, yeah. and the thing is, is our minds are not just, um, taking in information and, uh, processing it. What's actually happening is our minds are looking for information and filtering it. So when I, when students walk into my space, <laughs> I've got like a million things everywhere. Like there's books everywhere and posters and all sorts of things. And I know where everything is and they don't. And some of them, you know, they'll be there for like a month, right? They, they come in for over a month and then suddenly they see something on the wall that was right there the whole time, right? They couldn't see it before because they couldn't process it. They weren't looking for it. And that's what, uh, drugs do is they break the filters that we are actually projecting out into the world and right. looking to extract and pull in. And so when you, when you see somebody smiling on TV and giving you a message, um, the, the 12 different images that we see in here, you know, a Hillary supporter sees all the good things that Hillary could do right? mm-hmm. and all the good exactly. things that she said. Uh, and everybody had, you know, uh, a lot of people anyways, had a really good uh, feeling about Obama when he came into office because he just he was so eloquent. He said all the right things. He, he He's a master of this. Right. He's also the guy who's prosecuted more whistleblowers in history uh, than anybody. Yep. He's he's uh, he's droning uh, eight countries, uh, seven countries right now. Um, he's uh, tr- pushing the TPP harder than anybody else. Um, Dakota Access Pipeline. We're gonna wait a few weeks. Oh wait, after the election? Oh yeah, okay. I I see where you yeah. go, that Mr. Obama. Mm-hmm. Right. All of the things that you could perceive him as being, you know, he's a good man. He's a nice man. I mean, I think he'd be a, a great neighbor. <laughs> also, make me think he's a complete monster because, uh, and and it's not about racism. You know, everybody like a lot of uh, the Bill Maher. If you watch his show, he thinks everything that people don't like about Obama is racism, but it's not. It's not absolutely. It, absolutely. But what's so amazing about the Republican and Democrats is that uh, I heard this on the Jimmy Dore show. If you guys have heard this podcast or no, 
It's a really cool um, spin off of the TYT Young Turks. He's a comedian, does, you know, comedy, but he's uh, doing politics a lot. And one of the things he pointed to that I think was brilliant, he says it wasn't him, but he pointed it to me, is that it's not that the the Democrats and the Republic, the Republicans are going farther and farther right and the Democrats are chasing them. It's actually that the Democrats keep stealing the Republicans' positions and then the Republicans have to go more extreme. The Democrats are chasing the Republicans to the right. So, for example, uh, the health care plan that Obama was pushing as soon as he came into office that he got passed. It was Romney was, care. was a Romney plan, right? And the Republicans can't say, well, you know what, that's a great idea. Because then where's their funding go? Yep. Right? They're, uh, what's so funny is actually the Democrats now have stolen most of the Republican funding. They get more funding than the Republicans do from the same donors, right? The corporate donors, you know, one of the emails that you see in the in Hillary emails is uh, uh, Eric Schmidt, I think is his name. He's the CEO of Google giving Hillary's campaign advice as to where to locate and how to pay the wa- the wages of the workers, right? He says you want to get a whole bunch of smart uh, young people who are willing to work hard for you, a big pool of them, and pay them as little as possible and have them stay with family and friends because they'll move for you. And then you can sort of see like, oh, yeah, the, his evil plan is to help her get elected, <laughs> because he's in bed, his company's in bed with her company. He follows her to, around to campaign. It's like, this is, this is, um, seeing behind the curtain, right? If you were a worker, and I've seen them on TV, you know, in interviews working for Hillary, they're super happy, they're super excited, right? If you were a worker and you saw that, you might dismiss it. But ultimately, it's, it's like, that's exploitation. <laughs> it's a, mm-hmm. literally an exploitation plan. Don't be, in, in D.C., he says, there's too many distractions there. Um, you want to be on the outskirts of New York, so the rents are a little more affordable, and uh, you'll have a, a stronger base there. And you know, it's like it's every. It, it that, is. That, that's why I live here, by the way. George Carlin uh, said it right. There's a. It's a big club, and we're not in it. And if you go against the club, you get beaten by the club, right? Mm. It's a big club, and you and I are not in it, right? The Repo- uh, Hillary's Clinton and and Donald Trump were best friends, and there are memos. I mean, you would you would think from all the times they hung out together, um, but there are memos saying how the Democrats were wanted to push uh, for him to be the candidate because she'll do much better against him, right? And the fact that all the revelations about the Democratic Party having rigged the election. Uh, uh, their candidacy against like Bernie was naive. <laughs> he was super naive because he thought it was going to be a, a fair deal. But actually, uh, well, uh, let me throw a a, a a a wise remark in there and say mm. he's a socialist. Of course, he's naive. <laughs> oh, wow. that's, that's right. He's not a pragmatic realist like uh, those who are getting the funding. Right. That's right. No, yeah, he, he's I, definitely an idealist, and he wandered into the Democratic nomination process and got, well, met a wood chipper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if, if uh, you know, the election goes the way 
that people don't want it to go. If he becomes, well, a lot of people don't want it to go. Um, if uh, Trump becomes president, who will be to blame for that? Is it going to be uh, Bernie or is it going to be the people who actually they literally stole the election, literally cheated? They literally cheated to defeat Bernie, the Democrats. Who's going to be responsible? I know who's not going to take responsibility. It's not going to be him. Yeah. yeah. Right. So it is. It's icky, right? And you can sort of want to not have to deal with it. But when you've got a one-party state with two wings and they're all taking money from the same people and they're all in the same club and they're arguing about nothing that's related, to, you know, none of those those debates had anything to do with with any of the issues that anybody actually cares about. Yeah, right. one question about climate change and all the debates. One. Well, yeah, that was one thing that I noticed from this book that I was going to say before is um, there's those in-between kind of filters as well, like the absolute benefactor. There's like this point in the story where he goes, he gets further up in the party and there's like a revelation. It's like he's not actually a Chinese leader. He's a right. Caucasian from New Zealand. Right. And it's like, oh, that's the revelation. And then, so he's in on this conspiracy, but that's not true either. It's just like a distraction from yep. like this. Right. That's one, that's one of the yep. 12 realities. Yeah. Uh, I, yep. I love what you just said too, uh, Jesse. It's icky and you don't want to deal with it. That's like what, <laughs> that's like what this story is about. And that's, that's, that's like what Thomas Nagani is about too. Mm-hmm. I, I found a quote from this guy and he's dead serious here. This is not fiction or horror. This is his, philosophical treaties quote this is the tragedy consciousness has forced us into the paradoxical position of striving to be unself-conscious of what we are okay consciousness has forced us into the position of trying to be unself-conscious of what we are trying to not face reality not face Mm -hmm. the icky fact Mm -hmm. that okay now i'm going back to his quote that here's what we are hunks of spoiling fre- flesh on disintegrating <laughs> bones yeah Ooh, wow. <laughs> well yeah. The, and that goes back to that thing you were saying about um uh, about the atheist kind of the depressing kind of view of like the, when you die that's it like that's that's what they find out in studies of why people don't like atheists and stuff it's not yeah, because they don't like the people. It's because they remind them of this yeah. idea of death that they're trying to not deal with and not be not be reminded of. There is, it's it's exactly. this is this is the argument they're employing. La 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 la. Yeah, <laughs> I can't hear you. Exactly. That's 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 exactly it. They'd uh, rather elect a Muslim as president than an atheist because the atheist <laughs> might say something that reminds them of their mortality. Well, yeah. Well, well, yeah the uselessness of their actions. Consider how many atheists are in high public office in the U.S. Um, or None. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, just like, ignore it's uh, that whole thing of just like block it out, ignore that kind of thinking. You know, we're not just meat sacks that are gonna like return to chaos and become <laughs> but, <laughs> the slime again, the slugs. So, so, so I saw Doctor Strange yesterday. Oh yeah, the new movie, and Doctor Strange is played by Benedict Cumberbatch. He starts off as a very strident materialistic atheist who doesn't believe in anything except matter. And he's matter of factly says so to the other characters until he's faced with the terror and wonder of the, of the multiverse. But yeah, he, he, and that whole, it's that atheist equals asshole sort of uh, equation that 
is common in our world and in, in our uh, in our media. It's just like if you're an atheist, you must be an asshole because it is shining a light to what is probably a very uncomfortable truth for 99.99 percent of humanity that this is all there is. Yeah. Well, yeah, because the the drugs and the water are making us happy. Like, so if if someone is saying like. You know, you can just drink the water without the drugs. It's like, but we're happy. What an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, they go back, go, going back to the Matrix again, consider the, uh, the character that betrays them. He wants to go back into the Matrix. He yeah. wants the illusion. He's sick of the, of the, yeah. of, of the bile nature. That's why he's betraying. He wants to go back and, oh, I could be an actor. It's like, I could have steak again, even though I'm lying in the tube. I can imagine I have steak and he wants to embrace that that version of reality again. Yeah. And it's exactly what you were saying with the, the climate change stuff and that like people will ignore that. Like this people put all their attention on worrying about chemtrails and stuff. And <laughs> you know, like it just gives yeah. them something to worry about because the real problems are just like yeah. too scary. And the, too the, Car- the Kardashians are easier to worry about than uh, yeah. our, our cities being well, floated like, away. Or evil GMOs. Kardashians, and, you mean, yeah, it's, it's hard enough to keep up with the Kardashians. Yeah. want to, you don't want to have to like think about your your purpose and the lack of anything you're actually trying to achieve or anything like that. So, so now I'm thinking of another movie that ties in with this whole reality and ignoring things and and this story. Have any of you seen The Congress? Mm-mm. No. Oh yeah, I think I have. It's it's a it's a movie came out a couple years ago starring Robin Wright. It was yes, playing with a, animation and stuff in right. it as well. Right, yeah. because people start taking drugs to basically see and experience reality as a sort of an animated version where they can be anything and do anything. So she winds up getting out of this because she's like frozen for a while. And when she wakes up and she sees what the world's really like, it's a crap sack world that they're all ignoring because they're all in this animated reality. And she has to go in to try to find, I think it's her son. But it's like getting people to realize that most of the people realize that the reality that they're experiencing is not what's really going on outside. It's a people want their delusion of their animated strange existence and they want to ignore the fact that the world outside really is a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. They want the, they want the, they want the delusion. They don't want the desert of the real. Mm-hmm. And this story is all about the desert of the real that and the fact that there are multiple deserts and you can't, no matter which one it is, it's not good. And what do you do about that? That's what the story is about. What do you do when you're faced with the fact that reality is not what you really wanted it to be? Mm-hmm. And you don't know which one it really is. You retreat yeah, the, to the Cambrian. <laughs> you, you, you retreat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> End up yeah, a bob on the beach. <laughs> uh, wash up. <laughs> Maybe getting mopped up with a towel. Oh yeah. <laughs> I want to. Anyone wanna, else catch that? Uh, yeah, Absolutely. I want to read the um the part here, uh, where he uh, when the cigar when the, I I I really like that he's got two poems in the in the piece and he's he's so funny I love Mister Philip K. Dick. Um, so after he's gone home to his apartment, this is what, how it goes. That evening, in his small but well-appointed condominium apartment, he read over the other two examination papers. This one by Marion Culper. I think that's a fun name, Culper. And discovered that it, too, dealt with poetry. Obviously, this was a speciously a poetry class, and he felt ill. 
<laughs> that always <laughs> run against his grain, the use of poetry of any art for social purposes, like we're using it today. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyhow, comfortable in his special spine-straightening spine-straighteningly simulated leather easy chair, he lit a Cuesta Rey number one English market immense Corona cigar and began to read. The writer of the paper, uh, Miss Culper, had selected as her text a portion of the poem by John Dryden, John Dryden the 17th century English poet, final lines for which are uh, a poem called a, a Song for St. Celia's Day, and it goes like this. So when the last and dreadful hour rumbling pageant shall devour, the trumpet shall be heard on high, the dead shall live, the living die, and the music shall untune the sky. And he says, well, that's a hell of a thing, Chen thought to himself, bitingly. Dryden, we're supposed to believe, anticipated the fall of capitalism? <laughs> that's what he meant by crumbling pageant? Christ. He leaned over to take hold of his cigar and found that it had gone out. Groping in his pockets for his Japanese-made lighter, he half rose to his feet. And then the television comes on. <laughs> and it's his special appointment uh, television where the great leader talks to him. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, uh, there's something fun about this cigar thing. Okay, so here's here's where it goes later on. Another page break, and then... At quarter of three in the morning, as he sat sleepless in the living room of his conapt, smoking one Cuesta Astoria after another, a knock sounded at the door. When he opened it, he found himself facing Tanya Lee in her trench coat. <laughs> he faced, her face pinched with cold. Her eyes blazed questioningly. Don't look at me like that, he said roughly, because he's just come from the party, right? And he doesn't like being looked at. Uh, his cigar had gone out. He relit it. <laughs> I've been looking at it enough, he said. I've been looked at enough, he said. You saw it, she said. He nodded. She seated herself on the arm of the couch, and after a time she said, Want to tell me about it? Go as far away from here as possible, he said. Go a long way. And then he remembered. No way was long enough. He remembered reading that, too. So, you can't escape it, right? You can't, that's the, once you've seen it, you can distract yourself, but you can't escape it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of um, had a thought, too, while you were reading that for the first time, that, that perhaps the cigar going out was his uh, his it's and right. everyone's it, nor, normal uh, attempts at distraction keep failing him. The faith of our fathers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it, that never comes up in the story, right? That title. But it's a, it's a Christian hymn. Yep. Right. It's all about the martyrs and all the people who had to sacrifice. Right. And one, one thing we haven't mentioned, uh, Paul and Marissa and I have done a lot of Philip K. Dick stories. And one thing that's in here very prominently that we haven't mentioned is the legless man. Right. Oh, yes. The legless war veteran yeah. mm -hmm. who starts the story off. This, you know, figure of uh, humor. uh is he's in on the conspiracy, right? Mm -hmm. And it's it, it's very interesting. There's a lot of things going on in such a short story. It's 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 got a full novel's worth of ideas bubbling. Yeah, it really does. And since it's not uh, like the novel it does, it never falls flat. It never gets tired. It's 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 a uh, 100 proof Philip K. Dick in uh, a bite sized format. 
We can't win, he said. You can't win. I don't mean me. I'm not in this. I just want to do my job at the ministry and forget forget the whole damn thing. Is it non-terrestrial? <laughs> and she keeps pushing at her, yeah. <laughs> yes. God is non-terrestrial. Right? Is it hostile to us? Yes, he said. No. Both. Both are hostile. <laughs> That's what was, that's part of what's so scary about it as well. Like, it's like hostile, but also just doesn't give a fuck. It's just like, yeah. I don't care about you. I'm just playing with you. And so when he's on the edge, right? And he's, he's, he's just, he wants to jump, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's so interesting because he's seen reality for what it is. And yet standing on the edge, people don't want to kill themselves. And that's God in, in, you know, their programming, their genes saying, you're afraid of heights. Get away from the ledge. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, and when he, I love that when after, uh, he and Tanya have sex, um, the first time, uh, he looks his, at his shoulder again and it's begun to bleed. Yeah. Where the creature had grabbed him. Right. And, he, and he, he's interpreting that to mean that he's not, have, doesn't have long to live. Right. It's, it's a stigmata, right? It's a stigmata. Yes, exactly. A stigmata from this alien, multiple reality, God, anti-God that uh, controls the universe. And anti-God makes me think of uh, Prince of Darkness, the movie, where mm-hmm. where Satan's trying to bring his father, the anti-God, back into our reality. That's the plot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I saw someone on the um, internet somewhere kind of likened it to the, it's like the God of like the Sims game where you're just like the... It's the game player, you know, like just like oh, playing with people. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Like that kind of uncaring. You just have my little virtual avatars. I don't care if you live or die. It's just kind of fun to watch you do both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, wow, my, 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 my sin set the kitchen on fire again. Yeah. Oh, he's standing on the railing. I'll, I'll pull him back and see where he walks well, next. Well, <laughs> or I'll, I'll edit reality so he's stuck in a room and he stars that people do this sort of thing with the sim. Yeah. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. I don't get it, but yeah, people do that for fun. Mm-hmm. Well, we're we're evil, right? <laughs> we're evil playthings, <laughs> treating their creatures like evil playthings. Um, I, I think that uh, we we should also mention um, uh, Mr. Ray Nelson's short, short yes. story. Oh, eight o'clock in the morning, they mm-hmm. live. Yeah, and the movie version. Um, I, I I was thinking of it beforehand, but um, one of the other things I noted on the Philip K. Dick fans website is that. Uh, Philip K. Dick had given his uh, manuscript copy to Ray Nelson. Um, and I think that that's pretty interesting. Uh, oh. Ray's story, uh, I think, was published in FNSF around the same time, maybe uh, the year before. Um, uh, this story was uh, published anyways. So they, they were definitely thinking of, <laughs> along the same lines. Wow, that's interesting. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah do you know this to... story, uh, Wayne? Um, no, I'm not familiar with it. You've seen the movie They Live, though, right? From the 80s, the one with Rowdy Roddy Piper kicking uh, kicking ass and chewing bubblegum, and he's all out of bubblegum? Um, it's not ringing any bells. Well, I'm afraid you're going to have to watch that. It's your new assignment, because it's one of the greatest movies ever filmed. <laughs> sure. Okay. With that recommendation, what's yeah. the name of it again? It's called They, they Live. I, I, could, I could see my copy sitting from where I am. Yep. And I gotta tell ya, um, I think that the cover, uh, not the cover, the, the title for They Live now has added resonance, uh, for me, um, thinking about this story, right? So, is it hostile to us? 
Yes. No, both. Mostly hostile. It's not one thing, right? It's 12 things. Yeah. And this is the response, you know, to Nietzsche. God is dead, right? The man running through the streets saying, oh, my God, God is dead. God is dead. He's running through the streets and people, people, um, revolt, right? This is, you can't say that. God, Nietzsche killed God and Philip K. Dick's response. No, they live. Mm. Ooh. Yeah. I Ooh. like it. I like <laughs> it. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa. And we're gonna. And I am Wayne. <laughs> One more time, I screwed up. I forgot. Wait. <laughs> you forgot. And you know what? It's okay. How could you? How could you possibly I didn't me. think about that. So and I am. I am Wayne. I am Wayne June, and I just opened a Red Bull. <laughs> yeah, breakfast. Of champions. See, you did get the drug memo. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse's so excited about this one. He just can't even wait to get the introductions. <laughs>